ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome, folks, to tonight's episode of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm joined by one of our usual co-hosts, Jason, and a good friend, John. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. By the way, the whole intro was background music of Jason hammering on his keyboard. Just saying. <laughs> He's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. You can edit it out later, right? That's what you're thinking. That's what you're saying in the back of your head. That's a Nate problem, not yeah, a Jason problem. It's more, it's, more like, it's more like, oops, for the first time I, I, I forgot yeah, to mute, mute my mic. Usually you mute. Usually you mute. Anyway. <laughs> All right, folks. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, um, and I know this is going to sound, you guys know I work for Red Hat. John also works for Red Hat. We're going to talk about a Red Hat thing. But it's because I've been doing some tinkering with it, and I think it's actually really helpful for folks who may be in an operations role. That's not just because I work at Red Hat. I think it's actually useful. It's, a, it's like a really cool tool. So we're going to be talking about not just Insights, but specifically the Insights Vulnerability Service. Is that the official name, John? I keep calling it that. That's it, right? Red Hat Insights is the name, and yeah. then Insights has got a bunch of services. So right. it's one of the many services. So Red Hat's weird on naming. We don't really name down to that level. So anything like that, perfectly fine. Okay, cool. So what this tool does is, well, I don't know, maybe we'll step back. John, you want to give yourself an introduction quick and then, sure and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So I am senior principal technical marketing manager in our hybrid cloud experience business unit. That's a mouthful. That's a lot of words. Um, I work with Red Hat Insights and I do a lot of presentations, a lot of talks like this one, and essentially just act as a subject matter expert for the Insights product. Uh, looking back, I've been here at Red Hat for about five years. I'm based near our Raleigh, North Carolina headquarters. Prior to that, I spent a decade at NetApp, also as a technical marketing person. Um, but before that, I am what I like to call a recovering sysadmin. Uh, I worked for a small North Carolina nonprofit for about five years. And at that nonprofit, we had a whole lot of technology and not a whole lot of people. Uh, so I was a Linux admin, a Windows admin, a SAN admin, a Tivoli admin, a Domino admin, uh, email encryption, uh, Avaya, uh, physical hardware. I racked and stacked all the things and kept track of how many PDUs uh, and probably a few I'm forgetting. So I've, I've uh, many, many hats. I think I think a lot of I would hope anyway, maybe maybe we just have a shared terrible experience. But I would I would hope that a lot of folks listening to this show have probably been in a similar situation. I worked at a little web host early on in my career where I was responsible for like anything that had a power cord. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of funny. I've had people ask me in the past, like, how did I get involved with technical marketing? Because it's not something you hear about in career day. Like, it's really not right. a super common job. I think Nate and I had this discussion before he became a, yep. a technical marketing person. And I'm like, look, I was looking for a new job because I'm, as Jason said, my hair was on fire. Um, I was running around all the time. Like, there just wasn't enough time to do anything strategic. It was all about putting out the fire and trying to keep the business running. That's like really all we had time for. Yeah. And I saw this advertisement for a job at... Um, NetApp at the time, and it was looking for somebody with Domino experience and Tivoli experience and DB2 experience and AS400 experience. AS400. And I'm like, who else has all of these things that I happen to do? Um, so I applied for this job and eventually fell. I, I didn't even know what a technical marketing person was. And they're like, we need you to explain how all this stuff works and should work to people. I'm like, 
I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say it's a shame that the word marketing is in our titles because it's 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 a part of what we do, but it's such like we're more like in support of marketing. Right. Is kind of the, the best way I Correct. can kind of describe it. Right. So I was on a train in Brno with one of our engineers. Brno's in the Czech Republic. It's one of our big offices for for Red Hat. And we we're writing from whatever area we were in back to the the city center and this engineer and I were talking back and forth and um, we started getting into some sort of discussion on TDP, UDP. And he, he wait, he looks at me and wait, what, 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 what? Don't you work in marketing? <laughs> You're in marketing. Why do you know things? Right. And I'm like, no, no, no. Technical marketing. Like it's completely different. Right. Like, yes, I know things and I do things and use things. And yeah, I, I'm not just going to tell you that we do 1 million gigaflops, you know? <laughs> Right. I'm I'm technical and my hair is not greasy. Right. <laughs> Most wait, days. wait, wait. I if there's <laughs> if there's technical marketing managers at Oracle, their hair is probably still greasy. <laughs> well, the Oracle's a special case. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if they have such a role. Anyway. All right. just, as they walk through the door, there's a there's a, a tub of, of grease. Yeah, right. They give them a white shirt and a and a tie that doesn't fit right and uh, they grease their hair back. Slick their hair back. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all right. So, uh, why is John here tonight? So, like I like I mentioned, we're we're, we're going to talk about this insights vulnerability service. But let's let's take a step back for just just a moment and give just like a high level overview. What the heck is Red Hat Insights, and why is there a vulnerability service to begin with? Sadly, it's one of the best kept secrets that we have at Red Hat, and much to my dismay, we're I trying to make it not so much of a secret. Trying to make it not so much. Um, <laughs> So Insights has been around for about six years. It's actually been a product longer than I've been at Red Hat. Um, it, for the last four years or so, it's been included with Red Hat subscriptions for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And about three years ago, we added it into OpenShift and Ansible Automation Platform as well. So to say that in different words, Insights is not something you buy. It's something that you probably already have if you have some kind of a Red Hat subscription. This is uh, what we like to call our value of subscription. We... Uh, include this in the box is some really cool technology that its goal is to make your life easier. So to answer the question more directly, uh, Insights is a hosted software as a service offering that we have that has a number of capabilities for the platforms that it supports, which again are RHEL, OpenShift, and Ansible Automation Platform. Um, one of the big services we have is this vulnerability service. But really, I like to think of Insights as the codification of Red Hat support. Yes. Uh, we hear some customers that are basically like, why do we pay for Red Hat? Like, we really don't have that many support cases. Like We just don't call your support that often. Um, but you probably use a lot of the knowledge bases. Uh, maybe you've got a technical account manager or you know, you're leveraging somebody else that is helping you not have to call a lot. And what Insights does is basically take like, our entire interoperability matrix and turn that into a, oh, you're using this version of hardware uh, with this version of RHEL, and you have this application running on top of it with these package versions, and we can look at all that and go, Ooh, you've got a mismatch right there, and you could have a lot better performance if you upgraded that package. Yeah, so and for, we can tell you that like that. For folks who don't know, um, when you contact Red Hat Support, and they they help you with your issue, right? Usually they'll send you back an article that says, oh, here's how to fix your issue, right? That's not just because we have a huge database of things that can possibly go wrong with, with, with RHEL, but it's because there's a concerted effort 
if you contact Red Hat support and the person you're working with cannot find an article that outlines your problem, they are expected to write one, right? Now, Insights takes that a step further. And if the problem that they're telling you how to fix can be fixed in an automated fashion, which, come on, it's Linux. How many things can't be fixed in an automated fashion, right? Uh, they can also write an Insights rule that will fix the problem and help identify the problem. So if you've got a rel system that's talking to insights, then if 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 the all those pieces are written properly, uh, it can identify problems, maybe even before they're actually problems, and tell you about them and say, here's how to fix them. Not just here's a KB on how to fix it, but here's like a button you can push that will fix it. <laughs> right? Yeah, it'll so, generate it can even generate a playbook for you and run that playbook on your behalf if you have all the right permissions. Right. So yeah, it can go from the point of We've identified an issue. We used to call it find it, fix it. Like we found a thing. Here's how you fix the thing. And if you want us to fix the thing for you, go click this button. Right. And we really do try to make it that simple. I mean, there's always stuff you got to set up and configure, um, but there's nothing, you know, really here to install for the most part. If you're using a relatively new version of rel, like, yeah. Um, yeah. So there if is you're in, in eight, nine, it's pre-installed. If you're on seven, you may need to install the insights client package. Yeah. Now, so there, there is technically an agent that's running, although it's, it's a pretty yeah. lightweight agent. Um, and as far as it's, the data that it sends, we'll have a link in the notes here about yeah. basically an article we've written about what that data is. Yeah. And but, it's not actually running all the time. It run, it's a system D process right. that runs once a day. Right. And it's, it's sort of like sending an SOS report, right? I mean, is there data but in there that's not what, in an SOS What size report? is your SOS report though? Sometimes they're enormous. Enormous. <laughs> Depends. The average <laughs> insights data bit is uh, is 384 kilobytes. Last time I pulled it. Um, some of them are a little bit bigger if you're using other services. Like We're not going to delve into it today, but we have a compliance service that does regulatory compliance. So it actually will evaluate for something like PCI or HIPAA. And then that generates an XML file that we then send up to insights to present inside the insights UI. Those are, of course, bigger because we're taking an output from another program and then setting it on. But for the most part, what we look at is we want to know what version of RHEL do you got? How much memory? How much CPU? What, right. what packages are installed? What's running? Like, I mean, the information that we're looking at is essentially the, the minimum we need to do an if this, then that type of evaluation, which is how I like to consider insights, especially right. the advisor service. Right. So advisor is the thing that does what we were just describing, right? Yep. Well, what we wanted, what I wanted to talk about tonight was this vulnerability service. And um, basically, if you imagine that feature set, right, where it can identify problems for you and tell you how to fix them, this is that except for CVEs, right? So if, there's a, if, if, if Insights detects that you have a vulnerable package installed, it can tell you about it and tell you what packages you need to uh, update to mitigate or, or fix the problem, right? So yeah, I was talking to a customer last week and they're like, my biggest headache around vulnerabilities is I need, like every once in a while, the security team will come to me and say, CVE, ABC, one, two, three. How many systems are vulnerable to this? And I need a report and I need that tomorrow. And he goes, I have to log into each system individually and try to figure this out or I have to use 
uh, a third-party service that's not really meant for RHEL, so it gives me all sorts of weird false positives. He's like, right. is that a thing you can do? And I'm like, that is exactly the thing that we do. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess theoretically you could leverage like satellite or something if you're a full RHEL shop and have satellite, yeah. right? Um, so that's another way you could theoretically get it done. But yeah, and insights takes it to a, another level, which is really great. Cause like you can do like the name vulnerabilities. You could look for ret bleed or you know, anything, you know, just by the name of the CVE, if you don't know the number, you can go, oh, let me go look this up and it will spit you a list out and be like, okay, you have 16 systems that are impacted by this vulnerability and here they are. Here's a version of rail. You just export that out to a CSV or a JSON and send it along. And, um, matter of seconds, you can send a report out to somebody that says, here you go. Yeah. So I guess this is, sorry, go ahead, Jason. Th this is, this is all based on the, the RPM, yum, DNF, whatever we're calling it these days, database of what's installed on the machine, right? We use so the oval feed as the primary, um, source of where the vulnerabilities are. And then we put some intelligence on top of that based off the configuration of the systems. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a little bit. So, but what I'm saying is, if, if I if I log into a box and I drop a vulnerable version of you know some random library, yeah, and it's not Good. installed by RPM, that's not going to get picked up. If it's not one of ours, then we may not pick it up. Or if you're using, we did have a weird. Um, there, there's a bug in the other day where we had somebody create a mirror of one of our repositories, but then they named it like Jason's mirror, and so we didn't know what it was because it wasn't like you know upstream mirror it was basin mirror and we're like well we don't know what these packages are so we can't do a proper evaluation um but yeah generally speaking we're looking at the the repositories that we have for Red Hat and comparing those versions to the the oval feed to say hey are we vulnerable to this right. yes okay no? yeah yeah so 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 it's 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 rpm packages versus like random dot so's Oh, yeah. Like if you were to go compile something from source or install a custom RPM, I, I think it would have trouble detecting that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. So um, you you mentioned reports, right? So there's I when th that was actually one of the first things that caught my eye when I was looking at the vulnerability service was that not only does it do the cool techie things that like techie people care about. But it can also give you like an executive summary or an actual report of systems impacted by uh, certain CVEs, which I thought was was pretty useful. You know, you're dealing with like compliance or something. You need like you need a tactical list of all the things that need to be fixed. But yeah. your boss may not care about the tactical list. He may want a pretty pie chart. Right. Mm -hmm. And this exactly. accommodates both of those, which is kind of cool. Right. So, so what I. Our product manager for this service particularly likes to call this deep threat intelligence. Uh, the Not just the vulnerability service, but the combination of all the services that we have that we consider part of our security umbrella. So we've got not only uh, vulnerability uh, compliance, which is regulatory compliance, malware detection, and a policy service that lets you do kind of your own custom policies. Um, so the big part of this, especially for vulnerabilities, is it is that system-wide view. You have all the systems registered to insights, and from one place, you can really see all of these CVEs. Then you can delve down into the details about the CVEs. So um, we have labels within insights, and we put some labels on there that's based off of information that we know. Um, so we've got the oval feed I mentioned earlier, which we use as the base of here. Here's the list of all the vulnerabilities. That's great. Like Everybody has access to that, Like not a major deal. 
Um, but then on top of that, we have our own internal group and it's uh, the acronym is PSERP. And I looked it up earlier because I couldn't remember what it was. The product security information. I always forget what it means. Yeah. Product security incident response plan is the, the name of the group. But this is basically they say, how do these vulnerabilities really affect rel systems, like rel systems only, especially when we get those big name ones on TV. It's like we need a little bit more information to help people know how to fix these, how to right. mitigate them. And maybe it's not just update the package. Maybe it's um, there's a pseudo vulnerability out there that uh, leverages pseudo edit. So rather than updating the package, which you may not be able to do for a while, if you're using a production system that's super active, you may just not be able to go update a package. Um, there's, it says, oh, well, you know, another thing that we can do is we can leverage system tap and we can block pseudo edit. We can keep people from, executing against this vulnerability. So it's a form of mitigation that's not the final fix. It's just keeps you up and running and that doesn't require you to restart any services or reboot any systems. Uh, so something like that incident response plan will go deeper and that creates what we call a security rule. So we have a flag inside of insights that's a security rule. Uh, and then we have another flag that's a known exploit that says, does this particular vulnerability have a known exploit associated with it? does not mean that you have been exploited. It just means that this is something that you probably want to deal with at a higher priority because it has that known exploit associated. Right. So with those flags built in and then things that are already provided by the oval feed, like the CVS score, which is the common vulnerability scoring system uh, that rates the vulnerabilities between you know, zero and 10, you can say, okay, like really give me, CVEs that are 6.0 to 10.0. So they're super severe. Right. Uh, give me vulnerabilities that have a known exploit associated with them and give me vulnerabilities that have a security rule. Now give me a report of all those things. And these are the ones that I need to focus on fixing first because they are the most impactful to my environment. If I go look at my system right now, I probably have uh, in my system is purposely not up to date because they demo things. Um, I've got a lot of old rail systems. So I probably have 800 plus CVEs in my environment across a hundred systems. Um, that's a lot. How do I deal with that? How do I go out here and, and address it? And the way you address it is by looking, making intelligent decisions and, you know, eating that elephant one bite at a time. Right. Right. Now, obviously you could address it by looking up what needs to be updated and push out patches or you could address it using the automation that's built into mm -hmm. Insights, right? Yep. Which, of course, is, I think, it's pretty much Ansible, right? Gives you an Ansible yes. playbook, right? That yeah, so what we've execute. got within them is, yeah, the ability to create Ansible playbooks. Um, most of, I think pretty much all vulnerabilities have something, you know, some sort of playbook built in already to deal with them. If you go into other services like the regulatory compliance service, there may be things where we don't have playbooks built in because that may be like your disk needs to be laid out in this specified manner. Um, we're, we're not going to create a playbook that gives you data. Imagine like, no. Red Hat made mm -hmm. me repartition my drive. Yeah, that yeah, probably no, wouldn't not, go over well. <laughs> not touching that one with a 10-foot pole. We're just going to highlight that it's not up to spec in that case. Yeah. But for something like the vulnerability service, I'm like 99.8% sure that every vulnerability that um, has an errata has got a playbook with it. So Jason, what are you thinking at this point? Because you're like the only probably uh, skeptical one. <laughs> and have you, have, Jason, have you moment. ever seen this out of curiosity? I just, I don't know. 
Is this, uh, I'm sorry, say that, say is that again. Insights, is this conversation entirely new to you? Just curious, level set with me. Yeah, insights is, yeah. Um, okay. I'm not, uh, I think I've heard about it, uh, you know, grumbled about before, but I've never really delved into it. Um, it sounds neat. I mean, you know, the I think the capabilities are more on the, the auto fix it, you know, help I have a problem. Um, the security stuff is useful. Um, typically, I mean, it's it's great from a, a quick look at the OS itself, specifically if you are if you're installing things that are that come out of packages that the OS is aware of. Um, it doesn't doesn't sound like it helps at all for third party. Um, you know, I've I've written software and it's got, you know, it uses these libraries here, there and everywhere that, that aren't packages I installed. You know, that's just not going to come up in insights. If it's so if it's something you've written, definitely not. But if it's something that's um, SAP HANA, SQL Server, Oracle, AWS, Azure, you know, one of these common type platforms we do have built in. Um, a lot, especially but, in the advisor service, we have a lot of. Yeah, but it sounds like it sounds like you stuff. have to have. It sounds like you have to have installed those using using like Yum or you know, DNF. Yeah, um, but it, I mean, so so think about and and I know you and I have had these conversations in the days that we work together, right? Usually, you'll have you know if you're running something like Rel, you'll have a standard that says if we're installing packages. We're going to make sure they come from the OS vendor unless we absolutely can't, right? Obviously, custom code is a different thing, right? Yeah. But um, look, look at all the look at all the conversations we had with our web folks at, when we were at the college about what version of PHP we could run. Like we 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 don't want to install a version of PHP that's not coming from Red Hat because we get support from the one that comes with Red Hat, right? Now, obviously, sometimes you can't avoid that, but this is going to cover a lot. I would think if you have that kind of a policy in place. Yeah. Uh, yes. Again, if you're if you're following that type of a line, yeah. Um, in my experience, a lot of it is you know we 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 would depend on the OS vendor for OS stuff. Um, if if packages were available for something, great. Um, but in a lot of cases, you know, whatever we're building or installing or, you know, putting together isn't going to have packages. Um, and it may come from smaller, smaller places yeah. that and and even if it does have packages, take um, take something. And, and it's, it might be a bad example because you may even have it in in your in your insights. But, you know, take something like GitLab, um, GitLab's package, omnibus package is everything in one RPM. Which is great. It's wonderful to install. But when I say it's everything, I'm talking databases, uh, libraries, everything. So you can install this. You don't have to install the the Red Hat supported versions of databases and everything else. It's all in that omnibus package. So that's something that Insights, you know, based on how um, I'm understanding that it works now, Insights isn't going to pick that up unless GitLab itself is one of the packages that you guys are tracking. But there's, I mean, there's, there's dozens of other examples. But like I said, it's, it's great for knowing at the OS level what you have out there, what's, you know, what potential CVEs there are. There's just, it's just one step in the chain of, of pieces that you're going to need to fully scan. So when somebody comes to you with a specific CVE, you can, you may be able to run it through Insights and say, yeah, it doesn't look like any of our machines specifically are com- compromised because of that, but 
we have other software out there. So that's when you get into things like S bombs and, and, you know, scanning packages and all sorts of other good stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's so, a great, it's a great step. It's just not a complete solution. Yeah. My, not that my anything counter, really is, but yeah, right. My counterpoint there would be if you've installed a package like that, like that omnibus pocket package that you just recommend or that you just uh, mentioned, um, that's, that's sort of on the admins to make sure that, you know, you're tracking that outside of your vendor, right? Because no vendor, even if that was on, you know, any other distribution or even on like a Windows machine or whatever, is going to be tracking that for you, right? Right. But my, I guess my point is if you're if you're using something like, um, you know, Tenable's Nessus products or, you know, any of the other scanners that are out there that are going to do a full system scan, doesn't matter what package manager you're using. It doesn't matter who the vendor is. You know, it's it's looking at every file in every directory across that entire machine. And yeah, that's it's heavy. It yeah. takes a while for them to scan. It's not instant, you know, but you build up your inventory over time and you'll be able to pick that stuff out. Um, but then they'll it's you know, it's it's, you know, it's here and there. I mean, it's there's also the old problem of those third party scanners don't take into consideration vendors that have backported fixes. Yep. Agreed. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's I, like I, I fought that <laughs> I, I fought that my entire career. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've pushed back on, on a number yeah. of findings. Where it's yeah. like, well, that's great. But your vulnerability scanner says it's vulnerable. But my patch log says that, no, it's not. So please go away. Well, so. Yeah. In a situation like that, though, right, to turn this around, <laughs> in a situation like that, you then go to your vendor and say, okay, is this patched? And say your vendor's us, say your vendor's somebody else. Uh, they, It's on them to then tell you, yep, we fixed that. Or no, no, we didn't fix that yet. Uh, yep. Previously, the way you would do that is by going to the customer portal, looking for the CVE, finding the document that says... No, rel is not vulnerable, and then you would hand that off to your your security and compliance people, right? The yeah. Insights Vulnerability Service turns that into a report. You don't have to go hunt for it. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll okay, great. And 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 I think the the other piece of it might, if I'm understanding, might be that Insights comes with your rel subscription. Yes, no, correct. So yes. you know you don't have to go buy Tenable, which is not cheap. Yeah, and now. So Again, we right? have had a number of customers that are using Tenable and Nessus and like this is absolutely not a replacement for if you have some sort of, you know, you've already got that rolled out in your environment. You're doing it across your entire estate. This is rel only. Uh, yeah. But where we have seen a lot of customers use this as an augmentation where they're like, Nessus is telling me that we've got these vulnerabilities. Hey, real dude, you got to go fix this stuff. And then they go. Let me go check my insights report. Nope, 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 nope. This one's legit. This one's legit. Um, and I yes. was, we've got a newer feature too that's really interesting. We released it last month um, or maybe very into December. Um, that's the affected but not vulnerable flag. This is a new thing that we've thrown in where we essentially say that, you know, because RHEL has a lot of security features that are baked into it. We've got, uh, you know, we've got SE Linux. We've got, you know, a lot of other capabilities here. Uh, we have this flag called affected, not vulnerable, which means yes, technically that package is a package that is affected, 
but your system in its current configuration is not actually vulnerable. So should you fix this? Yes. Is it a high priority? No. Now, if something changes, your configuration changes, uh, maybe you need to go back and fix this. It's definitely something you want to take care of, but this is more, yeah, that port is not a listening port or this requires certain permissions that due to your SE Linux configuration, uh, that person is never going to have. Uh, so that's something, again, that Insights looks at the configuration of the system and goes, yeah, this, this one is one we've done a little bit more introspection on, um, and we can give you additional advice. Uh, RepLead is one in particular where that one came up on where we've got a lot of systems yeah, that that's, are you know, not That's super vulnerable. useful. Yeah, yeah that, that's super useful. Um, yeah, just from the, it sounds it sounds dangerous, but if you're if you're specifically marking it as not you know not vulnerable because of things like SE Linux and you know that port's not open or something like that, then yeah, I can I can see where that's yeah. that's useful. I, I've seen similar things where there where you know the report is like, yeah, technically we have that in our product, so you know it's it's technically a finding, but we're not vulnerable because we don't use that function. Which is yeah. like okay, that's cool, but my, still on my system. Exactly. And if some other thing yeah. uses that library, we're kind of screwed. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So I guess to to John's point, right? This this isn't a don't worry about this. It's a correct. You probably don't have to patch this the moment you've heard about it. It's plan a maintenance window. Make sure everyone knows about it. Right. It's not an emergency yep. maintenance now. It's a planned outage. It's a exactly. planned patching cycle. Right. And the other really nice thing that Insights does with this vulnerability service is we have um, a, a business risk and a status field, both of those. So you can go in, especially for the status field, you can go in and, and essentially use that as the life cycle of how you manage your vulnerabilities. And you can say, hey, this is this is a new CV. I've just detected it. So you can put it in the in review stage. I'm evaluating this, trying to figure out what it is. So if the boss goes in and checks, you can say, oh, yeah, he's actually doing something. It's not at a the default status is not reviewed. So in review means I'm actually looking at it. Um, and then when you're ready to patch it, maybe you're scheduling it for a patch. So you set that to schedule for patch. It's going at the next patch cycle. Um, and then eventually you can, you could do something like, Hey, I'm, we're just not taking any action. Like this is, this is a package that's built into the satellite and we can't do anything with it because we treat satellite like an appliance. Um, we're just going to accept this risk until the, we do the next upgrade in satellite. Uh, you know, so we can go through this whole life cycle. And eventually when you're, have no systems affected, it will disappear from your view. The, the default way that Insights works, it only shows stuff that affects you. Um, it's a flag that's that's put on by default where it says, you know, only show me systems that are affected, you know, one or more systems that are affected. Uh, you can clear that flag and you can actually see all the things. Um, so there's some, you know, 13,000 CVEs or something we're looking at that have errata. So it's a pretty right. easy view to see what's going on in your environment. So are you saying you could actually have insights show you everything, even if you're not in fact, not, not affected by it. Is that what that, I just heard? <laughs> you can see all CVEs with errata, even if they're not actually affected by it. Okay. Uh, and there is a, a feature request that is a, a future feature where you can see all CVEs, even if there is no errata. Huh? 
Okay. So those are. Those I don't are know why. I don't know why at. you'd want to do that, but I. I. It seems we've, funny that it's even an option. We've had people request it, <laughs> and the uh, the general idea is I've got CVE one two three. I want to see a report that says your none of my systems are affected by the CVE. Oh, that makes sense, right? And it's because there are there are things that you may be affected by that there's no way to fix it currently, and if there's no errata, then we you can't really fix it, and. Mm. So Insights doesn't show you that today, but in the future, we'll be able to say, here's CVE-123, it affects 27 systems, but there's no way to fix this yet other than, you know, maybe running a different version of RHEL. Right, <laughs> because that, that does happen for, for systems that yep. are either beyond their support or or CVEs that are just that new, right? Yep, exactly. So maybe Yeah, it takes a while sometimes to, to develop the fix for a vulnerability, so it may show up and Especially be like, hey, if it's not. It is not high impact, right? If yeah. it's if it's not high up there on the scale, it, it might take a little longer because you know priorities and whatnot. So yeah. okay, but yeah, if you wanted to see if CVE twenty twenty three zero six sixteen affected any of your systems, you can clear that flag. You can type in that CVE number, and it will pop up and show you that you know zero systems. And so that's like that's like the use that case report. where the boss comes to you and says, "I read about this in the magazine, or exactly. I heard about this on the news. Tell me what's vulnerable." And you can say nothing. Look, it's right here. Yep. Okay. And there's a nice, if you go into the tool, there's a nice little, it's a newer thing. It's a little um, card set of icons at the top. So that will tell you, you know, how many CVEs do I have uh, with known exploits? How many do I have with security rules? How many do I have that are of critical severity? And how many are important severity? So it's that quick, like, some stoplight type. Here's, Here's what's going on in my environment that I need to take care of. Who who determines those severities? Is that is that the severity of the CVE, or is there a way to downgrade that? That's the severity of the CVE, uh, but you do have a business risk flag that you can set, where you can essentially say, yeah, yeah, you guys say it's uh, medium, but to me, this is a critical. Now, and you can go and okay. essentially overwrite it. I know there's and that'll 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 reflect on on reports and whatnot. Yes, I know there's cases where the CVE has a level. And Red Hat has rescored it because of whatever features we build mm-hmm. or whatever yep. in the RPMs that come from Red Hat. Is the score yep. you're referring to our score or the published score? I believe the default one is the published score that's in the oval feed. Okay. If we have a security rule associated with it, it will have a slightly different set of guidance to say that we've got undergone this you know, product security incident response plan process. And while this one's marked as important, we think it's critical because of these reasons and it will give it a slightly different severity. Okay. Okay. But that's a, it's a portion. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it's only a portion of the CVEs go through that process. It's the ones that are really considered impactful. And that could be based either on the criticality set within uh, the the CVE itself, or that could be based off of support cases to Red Hat. Like if we start getting a ton of support cases on a particular CVE, they may go, ooh, you know, when you go fix this thing, you break that thing. So you really need to fix that thing too while you're at it. And they'll put all that information into the security rule. Hmm. That's helpful. Yeah, so this, and really that whole, the the routine that I, that I went through of going to the, the customer portal and finding the CV and whatever. I must have done that a thousand times as a TAM, right? Because customer comes to me and says, hey, what's this? Or I'll proactively say, oh, I just heard about this on the news. They're going to ask me. I better go look. Um, and it's it's not always easy, right? Because you have to, uh, 
like, you look at any CVE that we've published, or not that we've published, but that we have as, uh, an entry on, and there's like a matrix, there's a table of these versions of RHEL, these versions of OpenShift, these versions of these other things that we, you know, it's all the products and all the different versions, and then you gotta go through and go like, okay, RHEL 8, right? And you gotta find it and say, is that one affected, right? This takes all that and puts it into like an automatic, you've got a RHEL 8.7 system, it's affected by this. Here it is. You don't have to go any, do any of that legwork. And that's like, I feel like almost like a broken record. I, like, I just said this, but that's the piece that <laughs> I found really, really helpful, right? <laughs> and you mentioned you used to be a TAM. And so if anybody that's watching has got a TAM, one of the cool things that, you know, it wasn't available in your day, Nate, but it came out maybe in November. Um, in we my now day, have a, six months ago. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we, we have a um, we now have an access request tool, and it, it was made for the TAMs with the idea being, I need to see what the customer sees. Because by default, like Red Hat collects data, I can't see any of it. Like there's Red Hat can't see this data. Like it's collected for the purpose of analysis. Anything I see, like I could see customer X has a hundred systems registered to insights. That's as deep as I can go. Mm-hmm. So we've had requests internally from especially Tam saying, I'm responsible for this customer. I really need to see what information they have in their insights dashboard because I, I need to help them fix this stuff. I want to come to them with a proactive plan because that's essentially what you're being paid for. That's what you're for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we created a, an access tool that you the somebody can go in, uh, Tam can go in and basically request access of a customer and say it's account number ABC123. Uh, and I need access to these specific capabilities and I need that access for six months. And then that request goes to the customer and they can either accept it or deny it. And they can see the exact list of roles that are being requested. Um, and maybe they're like, I really don't want you seeing my regulatory compliance, but I'm totally cool with you seeing my vulnerability in my patches and they can reject or, you know, say, Hey, submit this again, but I don't want to give you this, this information. That's actually a really nice way to go about that. Uh, could, you know, I, anyone who's worked in an ops role knows that, you know, the, the people who own the database probably have access to the data, right? So in this case, Red Hat owns the database, right? Mm-hmm. But it yep. shows that, that we're taking steps to be responsible with that data. It's not just any old Red Hat employee can go in and look at it. I guess, Correct. theoretically, with the right access, you could. But <laughs> The SRE team is the only one that can, and they have to jump through some major hooks because right. they essentially have to get into the S3 bucket that hosts everything. So like they like it's logged a lot if you right. need to go try to access that. And it's not something that we do just for funsies. You know, it's cool. There's a problem we got to fix. Um, and I mean, then all the- this data, it's encrypted before it leaves the machine, while it's in transit, while it's at rest. Like, I mean, like we, we do everything we can, even though this data is not really, it's not sensitive data. Um, it's, but it's still data. We do everything right? we can to protect it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we haven't talked about it a whole lot. So I just want to highlight, like, uh, there's a page. Nate's got the link. I don't know if you share it during or after the call or what. It'll be in the notes a, for the call. Perfect. Or yeah, there's the a security the, trust page. In the show that we notes have. for the call, right? I'm talking like we're on a work call. Because <laughs> it feels like it. No, it'll be in the show notes for it the show. Like it. It's way more fun than work. What are you talking about? No. Um, you can generate the data packet that gets sent before you send anything. Like you don't send it, you just generate it and look at it. But what we don't have is a list to say, here's the specific things that I'm asking for. And the reason we don't have a list is it can change over time. Um, especially right. for something like vulnerabilities or 
um, you know, high important items, we can say we've never collected. Um, a perfect example is a while ago, Azure had the Oh My God vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had never looked for the OMI package. It's not something we ever looked at, not something we'd ever wanted to see if that was running or not. Because it's a Microsoft suddenly, thing and it's not our, why would we care about it? Yeah. yeah. Why would we care? And they came out with this vulnerability and we're like, maybe we, we should care. We need to do something <laughs> about this and let people know like ASAP. Um, there's a blog about it that I wrote somewhere on it, but essentially in 30 hours, we, from the point that we were notified to the point we delivered recommendations, it was 30 hours. And we said, what, what, what is this problem? What information do we need to inform people on what's happened? And then we created that recommendation and got it out. And we actually created five uh, because we created one that was, is the package, you know, the package is not installed. Zero level, you're safe, no problem. Yeah. Um, package is installed, but it's not running. It's not listening. It's not doing anything. So, you know, a little bit more critical. You probably want to take care of this, but. Eh, if someone whatever. starts this thing up, you're vulnerable, right? And then we created a, are you, you know, is it there and is it running more critical? Yeah. And then a, is it listening on an internal port? And then is it listening on an external port? So we basically started at the lowest criticality and, and you know, moved our way up so we could tell people, are you impacted? And this is how important it is that you take care of that. Uh, but that's something that, we turned around and were able to do very quick because of just the nature of how it works. Um, but that's why there's not a published list of here's all the things that I collect. Um, right. And if there's something you do a collection and you see information that you don't want to send, you may be to you, your IP addresses or your host names are personally identifiable information. That's the, the most common thing that we get. It's a, it's a yes, no flag to hide that it's obfuscate IP address. Yes, no. Right. Obfuscate host name, yes, no. Um, the impact of that, though, is if you hide your host names, um, when we create a remediation plan, it's going to use a fake host name. So it's going to mm, make it really that makes hard sense. to actually remediate. Yeah, you can't really tie it back to yeah. what the host name was because yeah. you don't have it. <laughs> so and the way we deal with that is we generate a UUID, and then you have to manually go to the system, find out what the UUID is, then go to the mm, um, Insights console and look for that UUID and just search for it. Um, we do give you the capability into the display to give it like an, an Ansible name or a display name that might be more friendly. So maybe your host name is proprietary. Um, you know, I'm calling this, you know, dir01.sql. You know, mycorp.com. You know, something that matches your standards. But you know, to you, that's Zeus, and you go into the display and you right. rename it Zeus because you know every admin, you know. Loves Roman mythology. <laughs> Jason and I had long discussions with some folks at the college about how we should name things based on what services they're running, because it could be a thing that attackers look for, right? Like, oh, look, I wonder where their Oracle server is. Maybe it's the one called Oracle Three. <laughs> yeah, the, yep, the, dis- yep. the discussions Hat, about yep. naming. Yeah, Red Hat, Red Hat's adding features to their products to allow you to turn your cattle back into pets. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But so if I mean, you really want to one one of the biggest uh, pushbacks I, that I got as a TAM whenever I brought up the word insights was this data collection thing. Oh, what happens to the data? We're a regulated space. We can't send you yep. the data. We can't do that. Well, I, I feel like the question's been answered a thousand times. Right. So yeah. there's an article about it. If you're really curious, go read the article. It's going to be in the notes for the show. <laughs> <laughs> and we, t- we take it 
we evaluate it and we throw it away in 24 hours. Like we don't hang on to any of it. Um, yeah. We will hang on to aggregated data for things like subscriptions. Um, like that, that hangs on a little bit longer. We have a service we haven't talked about that's um, called Drift. And essentially it's a system comparison type of service where you can say, hey, this thing worked perfectly on Friday and I came in Monday morning and it's all busted. What happened? Right. And you can go use this tool and say, it, it keeps seven days of history is all it keeps. But um, you can go in and say, compare today's state to Friday's state and tell me what changed. And it will just spit out and it's basically a list of packages and versions. And um, you go, oh, somebody came in and botched an upgrade over weekend or upgrade this thing <laughs> that they didn't test. You can yeah, Nobody ever does that. You can use Drift to... Um to compare against your, your own internal standards too. Can't you, mm -hmm. can't you like define yeah, so a template or something that says, yep, this is what can, our system should look like. Yep. Well, yeah. you can create a baseline and say, this is what it should That's look like. And you can actually create that baseline. from an existing system. So if right. you've got like a gold image or something, you can say this gold image should be my standard, set it up as a baseline. And then you can actually subscribe the systems to the baseline. So if you know, web servers look like this, here's my web server baseline, assign all your web servers to it. And then, the, then you can get a notification if it drifts off of that. Um, and notifications and insights have also come a long way in the, the last few months. Um, you can automatically send notifications to Splunk, to ServiceNow, uh, to Slack, to Grafana, uh, you know, all, all kinds of things. We've got webhooks and everything, everything, everything is backed by APIs. And there's a full API guide out there. Right, right. So, yeah, we could probably go on for quite a while about all of the various things that you can do, not just with Insights, but all the other services that are hosted on the same console that Insights is yep. hosted through. Uh, there's things like the Image Builder service, and there's mm -hmm. you know a bunch of other things, Drift, Compliance, uh, the Advisor stuff we talked about, Vulnerability. There's a bunch of other things. And maybe we'll have John back to talk about some more things, but... <laughs> We've uh, we were worried we weren't going to be able to fill an hour on this, and we've gone for fifty I was minutes. Never worried. So <laughs> never worried. All right. Was it um, you? I told I could, I told somebody recently I could show up and just wax poetic because like talk about this stuff all day. Yeah, or right. You or somebody else that I made that statement too. Right, but. right. I have I have just enough exposure to insights to know that it's actually a really cool tool. Um, but that's that's essentially why I wanted to bring you on to talk about it because I'm sure you've included. got a depth of knowledge that that I don't have. Right. Uh, even though I've, put yeah, it gets, I'm, I'm probably one of the only people in the company that like regularly uses the whole thing, like as a suite, mm -hmm. we have a whole lot of people that use individual features and right. services, but, um, from Ansible to rel to OpenShift, like I I'm in this and it's hosted at what we call the hybrid cloud console. There's stuff out there. That's not insights too. Um, if you log into rel today, it's pretty much all insights. Um, but if you go into Ansible, there's, a few services, but then there's also the Ansible analytics. That's part of Ansible automation platform. That's got, um, you know, some savings calculators, ROI calculators and things like that. Um, on the OpenShift side, there's, uh, there's the, uh, the OpenShift cluster manager and, um, e even outside of those, there's, um, some middleware stuff. There's a uh, Kafka and, um, sandbox and all sorts of good stuff out there. Yeah. But I work for real. I don't care about those things. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, all right, so this has been a great conversation. Um, I don't know if anybody that's watching live has any questions for John that they want to pipe up, or John, if you had any closing thoughts about insights or anything that you want to bring up, or Jason, if you had any questions that you didn't have a chance to ask, now's a good time to bring those up. No, I'm good. I, I, I banged around a bit. Yeah, just reminding people that 
it's included. Like if you've got a Red Hat subscription, and that includes the developer subscription. If you've got that free six right. know, developer subscription, I, yes. Uh, if if you're using AWS or Azure and you've got a Rail box, yes. Like it's it's included. It's part of it. Um, only kind of cloud caveat there is you do have to connect it to a Red Hat account somewhere along the line. So if you're, yeah. you're buying straight from AWS, you do need to connect that to a, a Red Hat account, meaning you might have to set one up. You and you it, can, but it's still included. You can do that without subscribing it to Rel, to a Rel subscription. So you don't have to, you don't, because if you go to a cloud provider and buy Rel, you're paying your cloud provider for Rel and then they're paying Red Hat for Rel. Right, yep. you're not yep. directly Correct. Red Hat's customer. However, you can still use Insights by simply yep. using the Insights client, right, to register yep. it instead of Subscription Manager. If you register with Subscription Manager, you're going to have to buy a RHEL sub to go with it, and that's not what mm-hmm. you want to do because then you're just paying for RHEL twice. So that's a bad thing. And if anybody has a satellite system and they have a mix, so they already got some subs and they've got some cloudy stuff, um, Simple Content Access SCA. Look that up. Make sure that is turned on first. Yeah. Because uh, that will prevent you from consuming a subscription on your satellite and paying for a subscription in the cloud. You, if you don't have SCA turned on, you could potentially get double billed. We don't want that to happen. Right. So Simple Content Access is the, the way we're going. Um, we definitely don't have time for that one today, but that's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Simple laughs> something else we're doing to make other... life easier. Yeah. So um, in the chat, we actually did get a question. And Bad Netmask asks, can you quick talk about the OpenShift Insights? Yeah, so OpenShift Insights itself, again, it's included, uh, especially for OpenShift 4. It's included, it's ready to go. If you're using OpenShift in the connected experience, which is the default experience, uh, it's already leveraging the Insights operator. You literally do not have to do anything. It's out there, ready to go. I think the exception is um, Arrow. If you're using um, the Azure version of OpenShift, then I think you do have to uh, configure something on the uh, on the operator. But any, anything else, it's already set up. It's ready to go. We've got four primary services for insights. Uh, the advisor service, that's the if this, then that kind of thing that I talked about for that is mostly about best practices, performance, stability. Um, there is also a vulnerability for OpenShift. Um, I'm going to try to summarize this really quickly. We have ACS, which is a um, Kubernetes security that looks inside the container and looks at vulnerabilities inside the container. The vulnerability service for insights is only looking at the Red Hat bits. It's just looking at the OpenShift deployment itself. So it's not going into the container. Um, So they're complementary products where one is inside and one is rel outside. One's checking your infrastructure. Um, The other one's checking your workloads. Exactly. So that's what the vulnerability service does. Um, all the subscription services out there that's taking care of like how many cores are you using and uh, that's got a ton of information in it. And then probably the the biggest one that not a whole lot of people know about is the uh, cost management piece of the puzzle. And that essentially looks at all aspects of running OpenShift and what does this cost me? And you can even go in there and create cost models. Uh, so if you need to do something like chargeback in your environment and, you know, you've got a bunch of different business units internally that are using your OpenShift cluster, then you can say, I need to charge these people what we pay plus 30% to cover our overhead managing this. You can put in a cost model and say, this is what, you know, Amazon costs me. I need to add 30% to it and then create me a report that says, hey, BU, here's what we need to charge back to get payment for our uh for our experience using, you know, using our OpenShift cluster. So that's a, 
that's one that's it's growing a ton. We're doing a lot of work in the cost management space and making that one better and better. But that's a, a really cool service we got. And that's so. that's a piece we didn't talk about in Insights for REL, which is the uh, resource optimi- optimization Correct. service, yep. which is a similar service. I, I think we you and I were talking the other day that this is on AWS only, but um, yeah. it'll help you try to right size your REL deployments on your cloud provider so that, Correct. you know, if you... If you've got a system that's underutilized, it'll try to help you identify that and maybe change the instance type so that you're not paying Absolutely. for resources you're not using. Yeah, RHEL's doing one thing and OpenShift is doing a slightly different thing. They're yeah. both important in their own way. Um, in the future, expect to see them come together. That'll start on the OpenShift side where we're going to look at getting kind of that resource optimization type usage into cost management. So, Because today we like, this is what it costs, aka this is what you spend and the next step is here's how you're deployed. Can we make intelligent decisions to upsize or downsize what you're using to, you know, have you make smarter money choices with, with what you're doing today. Um, so today rel does the, are you oversized? Are you undersized? Are you optimized? Right. Um, and that's primarily on AWS. It's planned to come to Azure, but I think there were some sort of issues with the APIs. Um, so I don't, I don't know for sure that that one's been released yet. I got to go back and verify. <laughs> You heard it first. <laughs> We've mentioned it before. That's, yeah. that's not a secret. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. So yeah, that's I, I that that's one of those things that is always a scary thing when you're going like it's it's not so scary in the data center because you've already paid for those resources. You're either using them or you're not, right? In the cloud though, it's do I really have to pay for these resources? And this is just another tool in the tool belt to try to help you identify exactly. that. So that's cool stuff. All right, so I think we covered it all pretty well. I don't see any more questions lingering. Um, so I think we're going to go to a break, folks. So this will be, again, part A of the show. If you're listening to this part and you want to hear part B, where we're probably going to talk about all kinds of chatty things and then the news, you're going to want to check out that episode as well. Um, if you want to watch us live, subscribe to us on YouTube or find us on Twitch. Uh, you can find links to both of those on ironsysadmin.com. You can also find all of our past episodes. IronSysAdmin.com is the best place to find all the information about the show, uh, including our Discord community. So if you want to come and chat with us, ask us questions, whatever, do that there. Uh, And with that, I think we're going to take a break. And folks, we'll be back in probably, I don't know, five, ten minutes tops. And uh, we will see you on the other side. So if you guys have any final words while I find the the break thing here. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Oh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, do you have like a social media handle or something you want people to to know about? Uh, I use I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I think it's just slash John Spinks. But yeah, um, I'm not sure how you usually do it. If you share the red hat addresses just, or whatever. Just LinkedIn. Um, you're not on Twitter. Everyone's on Twitter. No, I guess then everyone left Twitter. Then some of them came back. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a very social person. OK, well, find John on LinkedIn then. <laughs> All right, folks. And if you wanted to share your thing, we can put it in the notes. And if not, that's fine, too. Yeah. If you guys you want to get a hold of John, let me know. <laughs> yeah. If you got just insights, questions in general, insights at redhat.com is, is just our central email address. It hits it hits me. It hits our product management team. And we can answer you know pretty much anything you got right there. Cool. All right, folks. We're going to go to a break. And we'll be back in a few.